0: I also like the idea of titles that make people not want to listen. You know what? You don't want to listen? Fine. Capital F, capital C. That's what you get. It's obscure. It's for the connoisseur, man. All right. Anyway, uh, first item of follow-up. The most the most followed-up item uh, from last week <laughs> was both uh, was Marco's description and my reinforcement of the idea that if you lose the tiny little Apple remote in your couch cushions or it's just dark and it's somewhere on your couch or on the arm of your couch or on a coffee table and you go reaching for it, and you feel around to try to find it and you accidentally swipe your fingers across touchpad while you're watching video that will move the playhead on the video and many many people are going to tell us that if you hit the menu button it will just go back to where it was uh when you move the playhead it doesn't actually start playing again until you tell it to play but then you're still kind of faced with the the situation of oh well how do i get the playhead back to where i want to put it i don't think you even have to put it back first of all but second of all if you accidentally do that, if you're reaching to the remote and you swipe your hands across touchpad and it's, it's you know, moves the playhead somewhere, just hit the menu button and it will go back to where it was. I think you can probably also just hit, uh, well, maybe you can't hit play. Anyway, menu button, the largest followed up item. I didn't know that um, uh, in my one hour of using it, but since then I have used it and it works.
1: Have you used Plex yet?
0: i haven't i keep meaning to install that i haven't installed it I, and the thing that keeps me away from plex i went through this big long painful experience to install it on my ps4 and then was disappointed in the client uh, and the main thing that keeps me from installing it is my plex server would be my synology but i use the ds video server instead and the kids use the ds video server like mm-hmm. you can play video from it from my television and from 10 different places and I think well, I, I don't I don't like to mess with that setup because I think like by enabling Plex, there's a potential that I could screw up my existing video thing or maybe it'll show up as two DLNA servers. I don't know.
1: Anyway, it shows up as two DLNA servers because my dad uses DLNA and he has Plex running, I believe, hosted on the Synology of Memory Serves. And there are two separate DLNA servers for sure.
0: Yeah, so I'm always just afraid to touch what works, especially if it involves things that my kids are using. But I will eventually try Really, you should get yours first and try it and tell me about it.
1: Uh, right. Let's. Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out. At some point, maybe. I'll, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get one. It's just haven't done it yet. Trying to hold out, trying to wait for the holidays probably won't work. We'll see. Uh, what did your kids say about the remote?
0: This I thought was interesting because I've seen a lot of things on uh, about the Apple TV or about just technology in general where it's like you, we old people don't understand it and only the kids you know, truly understand it. And I thought one of my kids' reaction to the new remote uh, was interesting. Uh, they're used to having lots of different remotes because I don't have a universal, universal remote. I have a bunch of different remotes. They have learned more or less to navigate my crazy television setup to get what they want on the television they're not really that into it they don't want to know how it works they just want to know the minimum possible to get it to work anyway i said here here's the new apple tv and i showed it to them, and we were watching some video and at some point they wanted to watch a video by themselves and i said i'll oh, just use the new apple tv and they didn't know what the remote looked like because they're used to the tivo remote anyway i gave them the remote and, and showed it to them and immediately this is my daughter she was super angry that this remote did not work like the other one. She was just trying to navigate <laughs> the grid of items, you know, go up and to the left. And I was like, all right, go over to Netflix. Why she was watching Netflix there, who knows? She knows how to do it from the TO too. But anyway, just moving the sort of selection to the Netflix icon on the main screen using the touchpad... Did it was not immediately apparent how that worked, even though I kept showing her, swipe your thumb left or right or tap or whatever, and she got so angry. She's like, why can't it just be buttons? I just want to go up and left. And She was just so angry that it didn't work the way the (laughs) other one did because she was competent with the other one. She knows how to go, again, it was a TiVo remote, not the little Apple thing. She knows how to go up, up, left, left, and then hit the button in the middle to select, and this tiny little remote was thwarting her. It had taken away her skill and made her back into a novice, and that is a phenomenon that we're all very familiar with in the adult world or the world of people who aren't in elementary school anyway, where they have a set of (laughs) computer skills that have been built up over many years. And the, the introduction of anything new, even if the new thing is better, is seen as a threat or, or as a bad thing because it puts them back into the role of novice. They know how to use the old system. They know how to use, you know, a particular interface or a piece of hardware or a piece of software or whatever. And that expert, they start, that expertise starts to feel like, they start to internalize that as like, I am a competent person. I know how to do this job. I can, whatever, whatever task I need to accomplish, I can accomplish it and I use it. And any tool you give them, even if the tool is actually better once you learn it, because it makes them feel like they can no longer do that task they could previously do, that tool is bad. And it was amazing to me to see that happen in an (laughs) eight-year-old. You know, it's not... We're, we're not that different, you and I, the, the old people <laughs> and the young people. Even an eight-year-old can be super angry that her hard-earned skills of using the uh, the directional pad and the select button on a T-board remote can be erased in a moment by new technology. Anyway, she's used to it now. It's fine.
1: <laughs> Just like that. <laughs> huh? All is right in the world. Well,
0: yeah. I mean, you know, like she's, she's eight. It takes three seconds. You learn how to do it. And it's like she was still angry about it for that day, but now she's over it. Oh, goodness gracious.
1: All right, any other follow-up, or are we already done? That If we are done, that is world record follow-up. I'm very proud of us.
0: Unless, uh, I think Marco's been doing more Apple TV gaming. Do you have anything more to add on it?
1: Yeah, so,
2: so basically what happened between last show and this show is that my family discovered that the Apple TV can, in fact, be a good gaming system, uh, because we discovered the game that everybody else discovered two years ago, Badland. This was especially good because none of us had actually played it on iOS, so it was all new to us. Badland is a fantastic game for the Apple TV. I
1: don't think I've ever even heard of this.
2: So it's it it looks it's kind of like the art style almost of Limbo, but with color and uh, and it's it's this kind of intricate, really fancied up version of the basic gameplay mechanic of Flappy Bird. <laughs> and I, this is really minimizing its its uh, goodness, but it's like so you know you ha- you are this bird and you like you push the button to go up, and you let go of the button to fall, and, you know, it's just like this kind of inertia-based flying game, and you just fly through these side-scrolling levels, and uh, and there's all sorts of different obstacles and things that, you you know, things you pick up to change the behavior the behavior of things, and uh, you multiply and divide. It's, it's crazy. It's just a really, really good game, and it is incredibly good even on the Siri remote. We've actually, we tried it with the gamepad and with the Siri remote and we actually find it's better with the Siri remote and I can't explain why. I don't know why. Is it tap to click or is it click to, to click? You gotta click, you have to actually click the button and it doesn't just tap. But again, it doesn't make sense. I don't know why it's better, but for some reason it just feels
0: better. It feels right on the Siri remote. Well, doesn't it feel weird to hold a traditional console style controller in two hands and the only thing you're doing with it is pressing one button with one thumb? Maybe. That might be it. Um, so anyway, it really is a fantastic game.
2: Uh, I highly recommend it uh, for any Apple TV owner. It's accessible. Like, you know, kids can play it. Adults can play it. Non-gamers can play it. Uh, it is really a very nice, well-done game. I think it's like five bucks. Who cares? Just get it. Like, it's it's really good. Uh, by far the best Apple TV gaming experience that we've had so far.
1: Interesting. This looks aesthetically just reading the... Um or excuse me, not reading, but watching the little video on their website. This looks aesthetically a lot like World of Goo to me. Did either of you play that?
2: Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that it. And I and I honestly, I wouldn't expect World of Goo to work because the the lack of a pointer. But uh, but it it is kind of in in that in a similar art style, or maybe it that maybe that was one of the influences on it. Um, certainly, uh, it it's just a, it's a gorgeous you know, artistic design game. It's really, really... And it's it's kind of funny. It's kind of sick. Like, it's really good. You Just get Badland. Uh, there aren't that many things you can do in the Apple TV that, that are really excellent right now because we're, we're just waiting on a lot of software to get, to get ported or written for it. Uh, this is one of those things. Uh, this highly recommended Badland.
0: This is another one of those one-button-press games. Yes. Like, because, you know, again, designed for i'm assuming this was designed for touch originally but it lends itself well because you are you are forced to go forward like you there is no move forward thing like isn't going forward isn't that like part of the the gameplay itself and that the the screen moves on whether you're ready or not so if you have to backtrack or something to get around an obstacle and the screen is moving on tough luck right yeah exactly and so this is a type of a type of game that I think traditional gamers who are used to having more control over their environment might find off-putting, but is ideal for the phone where you don't want to make someone try to use a virtual D-pad, and now on the Apple TV where we actually have a real D-ish pad or whatever, <laughs> if you just want to use the remote, hey, we already have a game already tuned for single button press, and now that button doesn't even block any of the screen. So an ideal Apple TV port.
2: Yeah, and it's and you know it's it's watchable by people. Like it's fun to watch someone playing it. Um, there like there, there, nothing about it needs to be on a personal device that's only in your hands. You know, it's it really is very much like a a tv friendly family friendly general audience kind of game it's just really good um highly recommended i also tried provenance more this week so the provenance is that emulator so you can't actually get on the app store you it's one of those it's one of the relatively few apps i think um that is published with the intention of everybody it's open source and to install it you have to download the source code get register for an apple developer account Get the, have Xcode build the game and connect your TV via USB to your computer and have Xcode install the game onto your Apple TV with provisioning profiles generated from your developer account. My goodness. It is definitely not something that you can just like tell... A a a non developer to just go do this and have and expect them to figure it out. Um, they they might, but the chances are not great. So it is very much a, a cumbersome process. I know uh, Flux, the F Lux, they that I believe just came out with something similar, uh, for iPhones and iPads where they 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 have this open source version that they just say here you can you can side load this with with xcode and a developer account if you want this on your on your device without jailbreaking something like that um so it's a pretty cumbersome process and then it's nerdy then you have to like you have to like tell it to import your roms that you want to play in the emulator and then uh it like creates a web interface and you have to like go from your mac and upload them and so it's you know it's definitely a little bit cumbersome to get set up but when it is set up you have an emulator on your Apple TV, and it, it covers all the popular eight and sixteen-bit systems. It doesn't go into like it doesn't have N sixty-four uh, or anything more advanced. It, it, but I think it stops at like Super Nintendo and Genesis level. Uh, but it is really quite good. As you know, I've I've played better emulators. If you have a computer with a gamepad on your computer, you can do a lot better because like Providence, it it lacks a lot of customizable control that a lot of emulators have. Uh, You can't, for example, customize the controls. Uh, So if you don't like (laughs) how they how they map the buttons onto the gamepad, tough luck. Oh, I guess you have the source code. I guess you could change it. But But I I I am a developer, and I wouldn't bother doing that. Um, They also don't appear to have any of the really nice scaling modes. So like you know, all these old games they were made for much lower resolution screens, and if you run them on on a modern emulator, you get all these like fancy like the two X Sai and Super Eagle, like all these fancy. Uh, scaling up modes to make the graphics look better on higher resolution, larger screens that we have these days, uh, and so that is not present on this. So it, it, you're just looking at like you know a, a pixel quadrupled version of the game or whatever. You know, just scaled up like in the dumb in the dumbest way possible, scaled up to to the big screen. Um, so it doesn't look great, but you know it looks no worse than the original system did. Uh, so overall, it's fun. It's a fun way to get a whole bunch of games on an Apple TV if you have a gamepad. Don't even bother if you have the Siri remote. Just don't bother. But if you have a gamepad, uh, check out Providence. Oh, if you have a gamepad and an Apple TV and you're a developer and you have a USB-C to USB cable.
1: <laughs> and you have a bunch of backups of your old video games.
2: Yes. And and if you if you have legally obtained backups from, I don't even know what hardware that would be to create those. Uh, if you have all of those, uh, which are really small. It's funny. Like, <laughs> you, like I loaded up... Uh, every game I wanted from Genesis, Super Nintendo, and NES, and even Sega Master System. And these these games are like a few hundred kilobytes each. Like I, I played, I played through Sonic One, and which, by the way, Sonic One is a hard game. <laughs> I, you, I used to be a lot better at Sonic than I am now. Uh, wow. When when it turns out we don't play games for like a decade, it really impacts your your ability to play them. I almost got a game over in Labyrinth Zone. That's how bad it was i I've, i died in marble hill zone i mean that's this is how bad i've gotten so uh i played through that and it's like you know a few hundred kilobytes so it, it's a quick it's a great way if you are this geeky to set this kind of thing up it is a really cool thing to do um for a little while at least that being said uh overall i am so now that now that i've had good game experiences on the apple tv i am more optimistic for its future but it's going to depend a lot on how many people actually buy these game controllers and then how many developers can can afford to make games for it. Uh, certainly, there's going to be games like Badland where you don't need the game controller, and that's good, but it's so limited because, it, you know, you see that if you don't have one of these yet, you look at that remote and you might think, oh, games can use six buttons or whatever. No, games can use basically, I think, two buttons. The D-pad simulator, or, you know, they have the trackpad, and the play-pause button, and I think that's it. I think everything else is off limits to games, because everything else has has a has a meaning into the system that you aren't allowed to override. And of course, there's the accelerometer stuff. So you know, you could kind of do like Wii game kind of stuff. Some of it, not even all of it, because some of it requires more buttons <laughs> and more precision and everything. Uh, but you could do some of the kind of stuff we saw on the Wii. But it is pretty limited. Uh, so I do hope we see more good games. I'm sure we will. And uh, there's probably even more out now that I haven't tried yet. But uh, I, I I do think it's going to be. I do think it has the potential to be a really fun gaming platform, and I I just hope it pans out.
0: Yeah, I was struck again by uh, the stories uh, this weekend about video game sales. Like, thinking of the Apple TV and uh, iPhone gaming and everything else as kind of like gaming for the masses, where it's like, yeah, I'm not that into games, but if you have a fun game to play, I'll check it out. The Apple TV, you buy it for other reasons. If it plays games, it's cool. Uh, But, you know, I think the general impression of the people who are not in the video game industry is that most people play phone games you know you got a phone everyone's got a smartphone you can play games on it do you know anyone who has a smartphone who hasn't had at least one game that they've played briefly like had a week where they were addicted to insert name of your favorite game here whatever that may be even if it's just some random zynga thing or or flappy bird you mentioned before the the idea that for the mass market they're, they're you know what we used to call casual games like but there's there so many more of those people right and then there are the hardcore people who the weirdos who have actual game consoles and stuff like that but when you look at it from the number side of it it is flipped around um, you know like there was this, uh, Call of Duty Black Ops three came out and sold like five hundred fifty million dollars and uh, you know in the first weekend and it's on track to earn a billion dollars it's almost as if like, if you took it in, in the movie sense where people said, people have the impression, well, most people go to see these small independent movies because they're just movie casuals. And only the real hardcore people go to see Jurassic World, right? But no, no one has that impression. Everyone says, well, movies? Well, Jurassic World, that's a smash hit. Like, that's, that's for the masses. That's for the mainstream, right? Gaming is so weird in that the thing that everyone thinks is kind of like a dying industry of these, you know, hardcore gamers there's only a couple of you know tens or hundreds of millions of those as opposed to the billion people who play cell phone games and yet that's where all the money is though these you know that call of duty black ops is making more money than probably the entire top 10 in the ios uh, you know gaming charts and that's, that's just one game on this supposed platform that is dying pcs and, and uh and consoles so i don't know how we're gonna square that circle like I don't think we can extrapolate and say, well, consoles are going away and PCs is going away and pretty soon the mass market will take over and everyone just plays uh, Badlands on their Apple TV and plays Flappy Bird and you know Candy Crush and that is the gaming industry. When the money people are like, give me this year's Call of Duty any day because it is a money-making machine on the scale of a blockbuster movie and as far as the money people are concerned... That's the mass market of gaming, so I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for me to get a handle on this because, as a gamer, I do see these other sort of not lesser games, but smaller games as uh, as the 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 thing that's weird. And I see Call of Duty as exactly the same as Jurassic World. The only thing that doesn't fit with that is the popular notion that console games and PC games are somehow going away to be to be wiped away by. Uh, lesser devices like the uh the smartphone and ipad games that kids play and apple tv games and whatever our first bunch of this week is casper casper is an online
2: retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price go to casper.com slash atp to see for yourself and get 50 bucks off Casper mattresses are a hybrid between memory foam and latex foam to really give you the best of both worlds. Uh, they call it just the right sink, just the right bounce for better nights and brighter days. These mattresses are made in America, very high quality, and they sh- they are shipped right to your door. Now, this is pretty cool. So what they do is they ship it in this, in this really surprisingly small box it's like the size of a dorm fridge it just comes to your house in a box and you open it up and it sucks all the air out of the room and inflates itself and there you have a mattress i mean you're not gonna get back in the box but it's (laughs) it's it's pretty amazing and they know that buying a mattress online sounds a little bit crazy so they are willing to let you try it for a hundred nights risk-free free Free delivery free painless returns try it for a hundred nights risk-free if you don't like it during that time, you call them up and they will arrange a return for you. And uh, we've heard from people on both sides. We've heard from people who have them, who love them. We heard, f- we heard from a couple people who returned them because uh, it didn't work out for them. And they, they were raving about how great the return process even was. Like that's That tells you how nice it is that even somebody who decided not to keep it wanted to email us to tell us how great they were to deal with, how great the return process was. This just sounds like a fantastic company to deal with from everyone we've talked to who's dealt with them. So this is completely risk-free, free shipping, painless returns, Made in American mattresses, and the prices for all this—you would think this sounds like a premium thing, and it is quality-wise, but not price-wise. Mattresses, usually for a good mattress, you're paying between one and two thousand dollars. If it's a if it's a larger size, like a queen or a king, you're paying almost two thousand dollars for that. Uh, for anything really good, Casper mattresses start at just five hundred dollars for a twin, all the way up to eight fifty for queen, nine fifty for king. Under a thousand dollars for a high-quality king-size mattress is Unheard of. I've never seen a good mattress that was under, under $1,000 in that size. That's, that's completely unheard of. You can even get $50 off by going to casper.com slash ATP. Uh, use coupon code ATP at checkout there for $50 off. Terms and conditions do apply for that. Thanks a lot to Casper for sponsoring
1: our show once again. So as we record big day today, um, biggest of all, though, for our friend Federico Vatici, his dreams have come true. Today is iPad Pro Day. I did not have the time to go and take a look at the store to see if they had any in stock. I did not pre-order one. Um, I have no experience with this whatsoever, but one of us does.
2: So I actually went. Tiff Tiff wanted an iPad Pro, and uh, so we we decided. You know, like any Apple product, like if you're going to get it at all, get it. You know, get it when it's out because the price is not going to change between now. Well, actually. Never mind. The way Apple is these days, this will be for sale for the next five years, um, <laughs> and it will get it will drop by a hundred bucks next year. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we decided. You know, Tiff, want, Tiff was interested in larger screen iPad. So uh, this morning, woke up, ordered it for in store pickup because I, I was surprised. You know, they they said it was it would be available for online ordering today, in stores later this week. And they surprised everyone, including the stores, based on the employees I talked to, <laughs> uh, by having it available in stores today. That was great. So I, I went and ordered it, like still in bed in the morning with the Apple Store app for the iPhone, which is the best way to order things. Unfortunately, the pencil was already back ordered at 8 in the morning, already back ordered 3 to 4 weeks. And the stores, I, I asked around, and it, it sounds like most stores actually got zero pencils to sell today like it's not like they sold out they actually just didn't get any
0: so what makes you think the pencil is back ordered
2: as opposed to nobody has been able to order it the people in in my store said that they think the the big stores in manhattan might have gotten a small number and i heard some people from maybe some stores in europe that are really high profile that they got a couple so it does seem like they they are they are Coming to some stores. They came to some stores today and the early orders this morning had uh, some people said they got a a one to two week delay window rather than my quoted three to four weeks. So they are coming. But I, I can't help but feel like Apple keeps botching the releases of these things. You know, like in the same way that that the watch launch was totally botched. I mean, the watch launch was a disaster where, yeah, it officially launched on this day, but you couldn't actually get one for like months. Uh, and if you wanted certain ones, you waited even longer for things like the modern buckle or leather loop or the or the black link uh, that were like that were very back ordered, delayed, you know and and now, so with now with the iPad pro, it's nice that it's available today. That that was a nice surprise that we that we were able to pick one up today, but two of its main selling features, the smart keyboard, is that what it's called, smart keyboard?
1: I believe that's right.
2: The keyboard, from Apple, and the pencil were both totally unavailable for most people who tried to buy it today. And and it's and who knows how long it'll be. It does kind of put a damper on it. Like Tiff was really excited about the pencil and uh, and so was I, honestly, to, to try the pencil. And it does put a damper on it to be like, okay, now we finally get this device that, by the way, was announced two months ago. It's not like this was announced last week and we've been really impatient. This was announced two months ago. And it just barely shipped, apparently. And they couldn't even get the store stocked with the really critical accessories? Like, that that just seems like a botched launch to me. And, And this, like the operations guy is running the company how does like how does this happen i don't know i'm probably being too uh too critical of this but it it really does put a damper on it Uh, when you go to the store all happy to get this new device that you can do this cool new
0: thing with and then it says oh you can't get your pencil for another month you know that's that's a bummer for you but what does that mean in terms of things that apple cares about does it mean fewer
2: sales I did see a number of people today I, I tweeted early in the morning like you know this this is this kind of sucks. And I did see a number of people responding saying that they were going to go pick up an iPad pro today, but since they can't get a pencil, they're just going to wait until they can. So they're just delaying the sales, you know, like they're still going to sell those probably, but they, they will just be delayed. But I have to imagine, first of all, Apple really wants a big opening weekend. You know, they want to be able to brag. that They sold X million iPads in a weekend if, if they do, you know, so it's going to hurt them in that way. But also there is going to be a certain degree of like right now there's inertia. It's day one and people are really excited about it and they want to get it maybe some people who were on the fence about whether they wanted to get it maybe they now won't get it because maybe it as this inertia dies down over the next three to four weeks before they can get the accessories that they want maybe in that time they'll actually decide you know what maybe i don't really need this anymore you know like it it's probably not gonna be a
0: massive portion of their sales but i do think it will hurt them in some way also how does that balance with the other side of which i think happened with the watch there are positive aspects of things not being available there is the the perceived scarcity essentially you know that this product is playing hard to get and it makes you want it even more because you can't get it there is for the people who weren't even that interested in it there is the 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 meta story about people i don't want to watch but people who do want watches are not able to find them it's the cabbage patch doll phenomenon like it becomes like a a (laughs) frenzy like wow this must be really popular because people really want it and it's sold out everywhere and that creates a positive buzz about it and then finally as like you know oh f- someone finally got a modern buckle right as as these products trickle out when they are ready to ship or whatever you get repeat stories i know we already covered the apple watch 7 times but here's the first person to have the darth vader link bracelet here's the first person to have the modern buckle so on and so forth not that i'm saying apple is doing it on pers- purpose like that it's artificial scarcity it totally seems like this is just as soon as they're able to manufacture them in volume they ship them um, But I would say against the idea of someone being disappointed that they can't get what they want and then just saying, well, never mind and not coming back, balance that against the positive effects of the perceived uh, desirability and value and the repeat press on the sort of the trickle of stuff coming out. So I have to think I, I think it's bad for it not to launch all at once, mostly just because it reflects poorly on the company and might give someone a bad impression about Apple. But I think overall, I don't think it's actually hurting their sales. As long as, I mean, obviously, as long as by the, hol- by the time the holidays come, as long as everybody who wants to get an iPad Pro with a pencil for the holidays can get one, they may cut that close because that's where you could actually get hurt in sales because things are seasonal like that. If they miss the holidays, obviously, they've really messed up. But as long as they make the holidays with a reasonable amount of time, I think people not getting their pencils for a couple weeks is not that big a deal. The main, the main thing I'm annoyed about as a lazy person who stays at home all the time is uh, i seem to remember in the old days that apple would if not favor uh online orders then at the very least sort of give them equal footing where now with the apple tv i experienced this myself i ordered an apple tv and before my apple tv arrived to me they were already showing up in stores so rather than you know like and so now i bet if you were to order a pencil now you would get it sometime within the delivery window but then this weekend, if you go into a big Apple store, you might be able to pick one up if you just happen to go in the morning. And so it's they're definitely uh, favoring retail, it seems, over a mail order. Yeah, and that
2: that's again like the Apple TV. It was not a it was not a big botch, but it, like, I heard a ton of stories like that from people who who ordered online and then they had weird shipping issues. They didn't ship on
0: time, and then the, yeah, the stores got them first. Like that's it. Just well, that that makes sense though. I'm like I'm I'm saying this is what they do, and it annoys me because I stay at home, but people who order online who are those people they ha- it's better to put them in the stores because most people are just like wandering through the mall and they see the apple store and they wander in and they have no idea when a product launch or anything about it. it's only us who like order the second it's available online because we just want to we want to do the action that we think is going to give us the product as soon as possible because we're tiny little children at heart right and so it's like oh it's available for order i'm going to stay up at 3am and order 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 no one else is like that no one knows when these things are they just like they go into the apple store and they say well there's a new iphone are the new iphone's out oh they're not out okay well i'll check back next weekend oh they are out oh here's the new apple tv they don't know or care when things launch so it's much better to have them available in the store for sort of not impulse purchases but hey let me wander into the apple store and see what's available as opposed to trying to cater to people who stay up till 3am to order a phone yeah i don't know just the
2: whole thing it just it just puts a damper on, you know, like it, it's not that it, it doesn't ruin things. It's not going to kill all their sales, but it just puts a damper on on the enthusiasm. It's like, oh, this is
0: great, except, oh, no, bad news. You know, like it's <laughs> it puts a damper on your enthusiasm. The rest of the world doesn't even know the iPad Pro exists yet. They'll know when the ads start running on TV and when they wander, even when the ads run on TV. I think people are perfectly acceptable, accepting of seeing an ad on TV for a cool Apple thing. Then wandering into the Apple store and saying, Is that thing I saw an ad for on TV yet? And having the Apple store say, No, we don't have those yet. And they'll be like, Oh, all right. And they'll come back the next weekend. Like that's that's how I feel like the vast, vast majorities of Apple sales operate. Yeah. Tiff just wants a pen, I understand. <laughs> all that being said, I was able
2: to try the pencil and smart keyboard in the store. Because they had a demo one that like some of the staff were playing with out out on the on the on the floor. And so I went up and, and I, I got to play with it, too. They, they wouldn't sell it to me. I, I offered, but,
0: but they, they were not allowed to sell it to me. But $1 million for one night with your iPad Pro.
1: Oh, my God. That's a reference.
0: I know it's a reference. Hey, we saw a movie together. Yay. I've actually, actually
1: never seen the movie, but I know what, if, what you're referring. It isn't that good. Uh, so
2: <laughs> Please email John. Um, so I will say, having now played with the pencil and keyboard, very briefly, I mean, this. I had about five minutes with the pencil and, I, and about two minutes with the keyboard. I will say the keyboard is not as bad as I expected. Um, I expected it to be terrible because I heard it had similar key switches to the MacBook One and uh, possibly even worse key feel than the MacBook One. I think... It's probably about the same, maybe a little bit better. Even I don't know. It didn't feel as as horrible to me uh, than the MacBook One, but it was it was very close. Doesn't matter, you know. It's it's an iPad keyboard. It's going to be a compromise in a lot of different ways. So if that's that's fine. Um, I know there is a Logitech One. Uh, the Apple stores are even selling it. Like they they had that in stock. They were out of stock of every other iPad accessory, including the smart cover and the smart case, which are now two separate. Like now. The smart case is only the back part. Oh, that's weird. And so, if you want both the back and the front covered, you have to buy both parts for a total of like a hundred and fifty dollars. Yikes! Yeah, so that's that's annoying. <laughs> like, it's it's almost as expensive as just buying the keyboard, which covers both. So you might as well just buy the keyboard at that point. Uh, anyway. The keyboard was very securely attached. Um, it only really holds the iPad in one angle, though. As far as I could tell, I, I wasn't sure if you could if you could adjust it at all. Um, it, it seemed like it was
0: fixed to this one particular angle that it would hold it at. You could shove the pencil behind it because there's no place else to put that pencil. So just pull <laughs> p- pull the iPad forward, put, put the pencil in there, push it back. It'll be fine.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is going to be the kind of product where there's a huge opportunity here for third parties to make way better cases and keyboards than Apple did uh, because you're going to want a place to put the pencil and there isn't one anywhere on the iPad anywhere in the in, in any of Apple's cases you know it's similar to how the iPad 1 just kind of they they had that terrible gray like wraparound case and the ipad one was just clearly not designed with the case in mind at all and they just kind of threw one on that's how the pencil feels today which is like here's this this awesome thing that almost everyone is well not almost everyone but a lot of people are going to want for this ipad and the ipad was seemingly designed with no regard to how this thing would actually be kept on or near or in the ipad as dan morin pointed out today it goes behind your ear (laughs) <laughs> right. Well, it's too heavy for that. First of all, I think is it. it so it 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 is heavy. Um, it, it's not like uncomfortably heavy. It doesn't feel like a lightweight pencil or 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 a plastic stylus. It feels dense and it not too heavy, but almost too heavy.
0: Your ears can take it. I have faith in them.
2: <laughs> but it really does feel incredibly good to use that pencil. Uh, I would say the keyboard, if I if I were really into this thing myself, which I'm probably not going to be, but if I was really into this thing myself, I would probably skip the keyboard, um, but I would definitely get a pencil because I'm not an artist of any kind. I have no illustrative abilities at all. I hardly ever handwrite anything. This made me want to handwrite things and draw diagrams and become some kind of artist, even though I probably won't ever be. The pencil is great and combining it with palm rejection other touch input everything i i could not in my five minutes of using it, it like I, I never encountered an error in thinking that a touch was the pencil or rejecting the palm properly like it it was it was flawless and they were using the adobe um Oh god! It's like an Adobe Sketch something.
0: Adobe Sketch is the app yep.
2: that. Yeah, that's that's what we were using to to draw with, um, it, and it worked very well. There is a little bit of lag still, but it is the best stylus slash you know pen tablet thing for a computer by far the best I've ever seen. Not not even close. Way better than than the Wacom uh, tablets that I've seen. Way better than any previous iPad or iPhone stylus that I've tried. Uh, it just it, completely different experience. Far better. I was able to rest my palm on it, flat on the table, and just write, just handwrite. Like like Gruber mentioned in his in his review, which is very good. He mentioned that like he he tested by drawing his signature, and that like when you draw your signature on on most touch devices uh, or like pen terminals and stores. It always looks horrible, crazy, nothing like your real signature. And he said, like, on the iPad Pro, it looked like his real handwritten signature. In In my very brief testing here, I, tr- I tried handwriting things, like just handwriting a few sentences, and it looked just like my handwriting on paper. Uh, it is incredibly
0: good. I wish I had a reason to use it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and right now, I don't think I do. So it's time for you to go look at the show notes, Marco, if you haven't already. Because there are two videos related to this topic in the show notes. These were from tweets. One is from Steve Streza saying he was not impressed with the pencil latency. So it's I think it's an animated GIF because Twitter is stupid. But anyway, take a look at that tweet and look at his video. I, don't, I can't tell what app he's using there, but the lag on the thing that he's doing is just horrendous.
1: That is really rough, actually.
0: All right, now scroll down, and here's Matt Panzerino saying, "Really? Because when I was using it, it was awesome." And then look at his video, also of an iPad Pro, presumably with a different app, and look at the lag there. It looks like a different app. Yeah, it might be. Although they later in the discussion that like I was using Adobe Sketch, and then uh, and Panzer says, "Oh, I was using Adobe Sketch too." I don't know if it's in this picture. And anyway, i I think what I think what this shows is that from application to application. There can be a big difference in latency and responsiveness. In other words, the hardware is capable, but depending on how the application is programmed, you you could get the latency you see. Because I don't think these are broken iPads. I think you could get the the latency you see in the first video, which is really really bad, or with the same exact hardware, you can get the latency you see in the second video, which is really really good. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to depend entirely on
2: good coding. Like you know, at, at, at some point, the hardware is going to be the limiting factor, but yeah i mean my experience matches panzerino's video there of it just being you know it does you can feel that there is some latency but it is really small uh and it's perfectly fine for handwriting i think
0: and when i saw the first video i'm like oh well maybe that's slow because it's trying to do like a brush type thing where it's like pressure sensitive and there's like bristles you can see it's trying to be like a brushed ink thing where the leading edge is, has things but then look at Panzerino's video and he's doing like translucent smeared ink looking like he's not just doing solid black lines either. And in whatever application he's using, it seems to be doing even fancier effects. Um, and this is yet another opportunity to link that Microsoft video showing the different latency things. Uh, if you watch, I always go back to that Microsoft video to calibrate my eyeballs to hard numbers because they tell you they have like the thing with adjustable latency. Here's one millisecond. Here's 10. Here's a hundred to my eyes. The good, uh video of the ipad pro here is still not down to one millisecond but it's much better than 100 milliseconds so it's somewhere in that range um and the idea that the application can affect what the latency is like shows that this is really just the dawning of the mass market perhaps i'm sure apple hopes it is but perhaps the dawning of the mass market era of pen computing and so people say well that that started with windows for pen or whatever or the grid pad or that started with the surface or whatever Really, it remains to be seen if this will actually popularize the pen to any significant degree. Uh, But in all cases, I think pen input uh, is not yet at the level, has not crossed the threshold that the mouse did when the Mac was introduced. Because there were, you know, mouse type input devices before and after the Mac. But one of the things that the Mac uh, has been excellent at from day one is when you move the mouse the cursor on the screen moves. There's no stuttering, there's no lag. It's a seemingly direct connection. And that was very important at the dawning of the Mac to making a Mac feel like a Mac. It's one of the reasons that like, you know, Windows always felt weird and different until they got their cursor stuff nailed down a couple of years later. And on the Mac, there was nothing you can do in a program to make that mouse cursor screw up. Like it's not like, well if you program your application badly the mouse cursor won't be responsive not drawing with the mouse because yeah you could screw that up because you know on the original mac if you tried to draw with a fancy brush tool it would be all laggy and gross and everything i'm talking about the mouse itself like just moving the cursor around that stayed solid like there's nothing you could do an application to screw that up other short of crashing or grinding a disc or something terrible like but even even that they tended to even when the disc was grinding the mouse would still move smoothly all of us have experienced a crash where the entire computer is frozen but the mouse cursor still works that's an important part of the sort of physical interface to computers with a mouse is the the reliability of you move the mouse or you swipe on the trackpad and the cursor moves it's also by the way why it's so incredibly disconcerting when your mouse cursor freezes we've all had it happen many times many more times in the bad, bad old days of classic mac os it almost feels like the world is broken for a second where you move your mouse and the cursor doesn't move you're like oh no this is not right something it's it's like you've been knocked off kilter or something it's a it it violates this constraint of the world that you believed in that when I move the mouse that the cursor moves well for pen computing or any kind of pen input to really become as sort of second nature and boring as mouse input is nowadays we have to eventually get past uh the the idea that the responsiveness uh will be different and it's different with a pen because pen's not a pointing device pen is a drawing device so where I was giving the mouse a pass before and say oh well of course if you wiggle the mouse really fast and super paint with the spray can thing it would be all laggy and gross and that's fine um that's because the mouse isn't primarily a drawing thing it's for moving things around and clicking and pointing but the pen it's not a pointing device there is no cursor on the screen is entirely about drawing so i want all pen input to be you know like the second video or better and it's clear that we're not quite there yet um which is kind of a shame but this is early days at least as far as apple is concerned with uh pen input although the newton sitting on my desk right now might uh might disagree but that, <laughs> that had pretty bad latency too
1: yeah so a couple thoughts on this first of all to double down on what you were saying about the world being completely wrong when your mouse freezes imagine how weird it is when not only is the mouse frozen but your mouse button doesn't exist anymore because it's a software fake <laughs> button like that has happened to me a handful of times on this uh, macbook pro that i have for work and it is Weird.
0: So you just you just press and the little vibratory thing doesn't vibrate underneath it. Correct.
1: So it's like pushing on a place plate of glass. Nothing happens, and that's when like everything is broken. On the plus side, you have a physical indicator that everything's broken. But on the downside, this thing that that you forget is all software suddenly stops working, and it's very weird. Um, and the other thing I wanted to throw out is after I believe it was after the iPad Pro was announced. I'd remembered seeing something about, like, advanced multi-touch or something like that, and I went back and watched the WWDC session on it, and we'll link it in the show notes. It's uh, session 233, I believe, and it was really, really interesting, and they talked in the session, I don't remember who gave it, a lot about, you know, these infinitesimally small windows of time with which you have to process touch input and how they coalesce it and and this and that and the other thing and, and i didn't i watched it like a month or two ago so i'm a little fuzzy on it now but it was really really interesting and if you have the time it's worth watching and i bring this up because it very well could be you know if you if you're you if both these videos are using the same adobe app or whatever it is if it's the same app then then this is irrelevant but if it is different apps It would not surprise me at all if there are very different performance characteristics between two different apps, because the way they handle it can change very, very dramatically, depending on whether or not they're good developers, whether or not they're using new APIs, etc.
0: Yeah, Fraser Spears says that, just to confirm that, he says he's used the iPad Pro as well, latency seems very app-dependent. He says the latency is undetectable in Notes, meaning the Apple Notes application, I assume, but very laggy in paper by 53 uh, I don't know which apps are used in this video, but I'm, but I'm totally willing to believe that it's entirely app dependent uh, and that what we're not seeing is like, oh, bad or buggy hardware or something. It's just, you know, it's just software. Like like Casey said, if you're if it's not pulling, you know, processing the events in a particular way or using whatever the fast path is for doing input. And like I said, the, this Panzerino video, that's like something that looks like a magic marker where it's like smeary and thicker towards the edges, something that looks like grease paint, something that looks like watercolors, so it's not like it only works if you're drawing a solid black line but if you do anything fancy it's slow. So I really have no idea why the slow one is slow and why the fast one is fast other than, you know, just maybe using the wrong APIs or something.
2: Yeah. Well anyway, regardless, um we at least know that when properly handled uh by by the software side, the pen the pencil can be really great. And and in a few apps already it already is. And and that I mean really like using this blew my mind like how good it is it is i i just again i wish i had a reason to hand write things i've never even i've never been like a notebook at my desk kind of person like a lot of people will sketch things out on on paper notebooks i've never even done that i never took notes in school uh but man i i i do wish
0: that i had a reason to use it cuz it really it, it really is awesome you just need to do a video pictionary someone who needs to make a pictionary application for ipad pro people so you can do pictionary right with people across the country I, like draw something basically <laughs> I mean, you didn't get to see their face you know right right That pro you could put up on an easel
2: we are sponsored this week by Lynda.com, an easy and affordable way to help you learn with high quality easy to follow video tutorials you can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on software web development graphic design and more go to slash atp to see for yourself and get a free 10-day trial Lynda.com has fresh new courses added daily. They work with industry experts and software companies to provide timely training, often the same day new versions or releases hit the market. Lynda.com offers courses for all experience levels, whether you are a beginner or advanced. And every course is produced at the highest quality. This is not like the inconsistent homemade videos on YouTube. Courses are broken into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace and learn from start to finish or just jump in and find a quick answer with tools including searchable transcripts, playlists, even uh, certificates of course completion, which you can publish to your LinkedIn profile. You can even learn while you're on the go with lynda.com apps for iPhone, iPad, and Android. Now, what I like about lynda.com is that you can watch whatever you want whenever with no pressure, no commitment, because you don't pay per video. It is not a la carte, it is a flat rate. One low monthly price of just $25 a month gives you unlimited access to all of their video tutorials. There's currently over 100,000, and they're adding more every day. If you just have the kind of job or the kind of interest where you just like to learn new things frequently or you need to learn new, new apps or new programming languages or new techniques, new business skills, they have all these courses on there. Um, they have all sorts of courses, things like like the Adobe Creative Suite, uh, Logic, podcast production, music production, Final Cut for movie production, um, even professional skills like management and business negotiation. Now, Lynda.com is so useful that 30% of colleges and universities, including most of the Ivy League schools, offer subscriptions to their students and faculty members just for being students. Like They, they work out a deal. That's how good it is. So Lynda.com is offering a 10-day free trial to access all courses for free. If you visit Lynda.com/ATP, once again, that's a 10-day free trial with access to all courses at Lynda.com/ATP. Thanks a lot to Lynda.com for sponsoring our show once again. So iPad Pro software-wise, I, I got tips. iPad Pro wasn't able to get anything else for it, so we have no case, no cover. No pencil, uh, no keyboard, but we're probably not going to get the keyboard anyway. Um, Brought it home. So far, I would say, based on my quick experience with it, it is really a mixed bag. Most of the reviews seem to back up um, what I've experienced so far. First of all, it is huge. And because it is so huge, certain aspects of things that you could do well on iPads before are actually worse, in my opinion. I think it was definitely worse for reading, Unless you're reading things like comic books or magazines where you, you need like as much space as possible, um, but just like for reading regular column articles uh, or iBooks looks kind of ridiculous on it to be honest <laughs> because you don't, iBooks does not seem to offer margin control. So you got to
0: crank the font size up though, like that's that's what it lets you do. It lets you have keep the same number of words per line, but make the text way bigger so it's easier to see. Yeah, but then then you're just holding it back further. I mean, that, you no, know. it's for for people who have. Your eyes will go eventually, young man, and you will appreciate
1: it
2: <laughs> no absolutely i mean you know if you if you actually need a bigger size just to make it legible in general uh for you know, for vision accessibility reasons that's a different story but if you have vision within within kind of the normal range and you don't need it to be really huge, uh, I would say in general that the other iPads are better reading devices uh, for that reason. Um, this is obviously better for video. Well, for, for reading, though, what
0: if you want to have Twitter along the side while you read? That's a terrible idea. Why would you want that? <laughs> People do that. Like, I, I'd do it. Or if you just want to have Twitter and Slack... And in, in the same thing split, each one gets a reasonable size column. Like you're you're th- you're still thinking as if the screen is one thing that the application can fill. And Apple hasn't done much to dissuade you from that notion, but they have at least cut the screen in half or thirds or whatever. So I think you have to, in considering software, which, granted, I'm sure you get to this, is not has not been updated very well for the iPad Pro and sometimes looks ridiculous. At the very least, you can say, all right, well, it may not be a good reading experience for... This thing, but that's only because I'm letting it have the whole screen. Why don't I divide the screen up and let something else have that thing? And now I have two good reading experiences at the same time. Yeah, I mean,
2: that's that's kind of the idea. But like one of the things that made iPads and, and e-readers so good for reading books compared to computers is that you could only do that one thing on the screen. You could fill up the screen with one reading app. And you like if you try nobody reads books on their computers for the most part because you have these giant screens that are filled with all these all these little windows of all these all all these distractions and it's not a very
0: good reading environment for that. Do you think that's why people don't read books on their computers? I think that's one of the reasons. I think the main reason is that it's uncomfortable to sit at a desk staring at a screen that's in front of you. Okay.
2: Similarly, uh, it's uncomfortable to hold this iPad up for a long time because it is it is not light or small Uh, and so you know different reviewers have agreed and disagreed on this point that i've seen so far um some of them say it's okay some of them say it's heavy you know tiff's initial impression my initial impression so far uh is that it's it's pretty heavy to hold up uh for for more than a minute or two like you you want to have it on some kind of you know propped up case or desk or stand or something you know not just holding it up in bed for a long time or anything like that so for for a lot of things, like if you've ever done anything on an iPad and, it, and the, the smallness of the iPad screen has been a limiting factor for you, then this will be an improvement.
0: That's not true for everything. Andy Anako had a good picture, though. Speaking of that, recently he tweeted a picture of, I think his tweet was, the text was, living the dream. And what he had was his iPad Pro showing a, a comic book. And next to it, a physical comic book, which you could see, you could take that physical comic book and basically place it on the screen, and it was pretty much exactly the same size as the screen. So if you're a comics reader and you're tired of looking at comics either shrunken or cropped, you can't get two page side by side, but at least now you can get one full size, real life comic book page at a one to one ratio uh, on your iPad Pro. Yeah, and
2: and you know, for people who like people who like mark up PDFs. This would be great for them because it's like, you know, you want you want that to be like kind of life size or close to it at least. Uh, and the 10 inch iPad was almost but not quite the right size to do that. Um, so, you know, stuff like that. Like there are there are things that are going to be better on this for sure. And there's probably going to be a lot of those things. But what all I'm saying is that not everything is better on it. And and it's important if you're thinking about one of these devices, it's important to know that going in, um, just because certain things, there is such a thing as too big of a screen for certain things, and and you you might hit that. But as you as you alluded to earlier, John, uh, one of the bigger challenges up front here is that iOS, while it's nice to have things like the split view and the slide over and everything, these features are pretty basic so far they they still could especially things like like the slide over the app launching experience there if you have to like scroll through this giant long list of, of these apps that that are capable of doing this like this interface i don't know who designed this interface because it, it should have been obvious to anybody that as soon as you have more than a handful of apps that support this feature this does not work very well uh but anyway there are there are affordances for the big screen and things that take advantage of the big screen in iOS. But, you know, the, the iPad has always kind of been the second-class citizen of iOS. Uh, it has always gotten uh, oftentimes delayed hardware capabilities or less good hardware in certain ways. Like the cameras are never as good as the iPhone cameras. Um, it got Touch ID late. The new one, even the iPad Pro, as the reviews have noted doesn't have the Touch ID sensor from the 6S, the, the good new one. It has the slower old one from the iPhone 5S and 6. And that seems crazy. This is like a new flagship iOS device that there there is a substantially better Touch ID sensor that launched two months ago, and the iPad Pro doesn't have it. And you know, 3D touch it doesn't have either. That that might be because they couldn't get to work on the big screen. That's that's a little more understandable, I think, because like you can see the challenges
0: involved there. I think the the touch ID sensor makes sense too, though, because why volumes? Because how many? Like I I'm not I don't think there is an entire world of vendors making this touch ID sensor. I think there's a limited number of people who even can make it. It may be like patent encumbered or whatever. Who has the ability to manufacture? Who has the expertise? And the iPhone is just so damn high volume that it's going to get every single one of those things so they can manufacture for the foreseeable future. That, I don't know if that's true, but that is a plausible explanation as to why why you wouldn't, you know, what, the iPhone would absorb everything because it has to because it is the most important product. And if there's any part that is in limited supply, iPhone gets it and don't even bought, Don't even worry about the iPad. Just give them the old sensor. It doesn't even matter. The iPhone is what matters because if, if you have to think of a part on the iPhone that is supply constrained, the Touch ID sensor, especially the brand new one, is one of the one of the top ones that i would pick
2: i don't know i think it's equally likely that this was just an area where somebody decided you know what people aren't unlocking their ipad via touch id as often as they do it on their phone so it's not that important we can save a dollar you know that it feels more like that
0: is it cheaper is the new one actually more expensive though like it might even just be the same i don't know it, it just it seems more like iphone gets all the good stuff all the best stuff for us it is the oldest favored child if anything is in short supply iPhone gets the stuff
2: first right so so regardless of the reason of that in the so- on the software side unfortunately that's also true and you see things like like you know back even back forever ago when the ipad launched with with 3.2 ios 3.2 then iOS four with multitasking came out for the iPhone, and it wasn't until about uh, four months later, something like, or maybe even six months later, in like four point, I think three was four point three was when they unified it, where like they brought all those features to the iPad. Look at when iOS seven launched. And then, you know, in the early betas, they wouldn't even give you the iPad beta because they, they, it was so unfinished, they wouldn't even give you the developer betas at first. And then later on in the iOS 7 developer process, they eventually released the the iPad version of it. And I would say the iPad version has always and still lags behind the iPhone version ever since the iOS 7 redesign. Uh, there are certain things about it that just seem half-acted. You know things like Control Center, um, things like that. That swipe over at Picker API or UI. uh, Notifications have always been kind of weird on it. There's still like as I think as Gruber pointed out in his review, there's still like no calculator or weather apps. Like just it just seems like in so many ways, the iPad is is trying to be this higher end device, and in many ways it's achieving that. But on the software side, it's being held back by these limitations and they did make great strides with the split view and and with the slide over in iOS 8 that does help a lot but in general it just seems like it's not getting a lot of attention in its software and you know so you, you get there here you here we are flagship product this is obviously very important to Apple to get to get the iPad sales you know boosted again get them going again you know keep the iPad alive keep it going so you have this flagship product it launches right before the holidays, peak time. First of all, yeah, no accessories available, right? Problem number one. But then second of all, hardly any apps are updated for it. So, so already you have this weird experience where like, when you launch most iPad apps they come up in the blurry blown up way and it just looks terrible. <laughs> it looks ridiculous and they that's that's a problem. And like like just going through Tiff's initial setup here at home, we've seen a lot of those apps. Almost every app she uses has not been updated. And that includes both games and browsing apps and magazines and shopping apps. Like there's uh, so many apps that that have just not been updated. So that's problem number 1. Um, but even just iOS like <laughs> Tiff's first impression when she saw the um, the the springboard home screen she was looking at how many icons you get you get across the top, and like the number of app icons has stayed the same. In like how many how many you get per row and column in Springboard hasn't changed, even though the screen size got almost twice as big. So everything's just this giant spread out weird arrangement. And she w- she immediately started looking for a setting to change it because she, she assumed like, of course there has to be a setting. Of course this would not be the only way you would ship this thing. Nope, there's no second exchange. It that is the only way it's shipped. Like it's it, it. just seems like there is just not enough resources at Apple being devoted to making iOS better specifically for the iPad. It's it's gonna, it's hard enough for developers to justify putting a lot of work into iPad apps a lot of the times, and that's that's going to be another problem this has because now, for the first time I think in a while with both now with with split view. Uh, coming a few months ago and now with the iPad Pro having a whole new screen size, uh, not to mention if you want to take advantage of, of things like the pen and keyboard in, in significant ways, app developers need to catch up. They need to do a lot of work to get their iPad apps to be really great now, to really to, to keep them current, to keep them running well in the newest hardware, to keep them taking advantage of the newest hardware. The iPhone does this to us every year in some way, but the iPhone has a lot more people using it, and therefore it's a lot easier to make money on the iPhone for a lot of kinds of apps. But the iPad... Because it's a smaller platform by install base, uh, it's always been a little bit harder for a lot of people to justify doing work on it, uh, doing work on iPad apps. And the, the problems in Apple's software ecosystem of app pricing, sustainability, over competition, everything, all of those problems are magnified on the iPad side because there isn't as much there are the install base isn't as big. So you can't just make it up in volume. It's harder to make it on the iPad side. There's less competition, I think, which helps, but, but it's, it's just harder. Like look at how many iPad apps have just been just totally abandoned and just are getting no meaningful updates because their developers just can't afford to, to work on them. I I think this is ultimately going to be what decides whether the iPad pro succeeds or fails is, will developers including apple with ios will developers be able to justify investing a lot of resources into making really great software for the ipad pro because if they it's it's kind of a chicken and egg problem if they don't then the ipad pro it will probably will probably not do substantially better than the other ipads have done and it's not like they're bombing you know everyone always says oh well it's a bigger business than mcdonald's or whatever you know they're doing okay but It seems like the point of this product was to really juice the the iPad line and really give it a substantial boost. And unless the software comes, I don't think that's going to happen. I also don't see what in the software ecosystem will meaningfully change that will suddenly make this a great platform that is worth developers, both large and small, spending a lot of time creating and maintaining professional quality apps for this platform
0: seems like Apple's been coasting on the, not coasting, but like benefiting from the inevitability of the iPad that they apparently feel that I've always felt, even from like the original iPad launch. Remember when the iPad was coming out, it was like Apple's tablet. We didn't know what the name of it was going to be. One of the topics of discussion around that time, although we didn't have a lot of podcasts to talk about it on, was what is the what is the home screen going to look like on an Apple tablet? Uh, and the reason that was a discussion because because the the second thing some anyone would say in that conversation is they can't just do what they do on the phone and have just a
1: grid of icons <laughs> because <laughs> because the screen is
0: massive. So what are they going to do? Like yeah, it was it was fun to think about uh, what is the sort of the home experience, the the root level, the bottom level, the thing you see when you turn the thing on. What does that look like when you have a tablet sized device? And Apple's answer was it looks like a phone. We spread stuff out a little bit more, right? Um, And as the uh, iPad changed sizes, when it got smaller, you know, the icons were there. Now it's gotten bigger. The icons just spread out. Um, There's a couple aspects of that. One is uh, if they actually did put things in at the same density they are on a phone, uh, that would be an object of ridicule. People are like that big iPad. You can't tell where anything is because there's a million icons on the home screen. Um, so they can obviously not do them. That, that it just you know that just goes to show that like the density that works well on a tiny thing in your hand, you can't use that same density when the thing is the size of a actual notebook piece of paper. Uh, but surely looking at the iPad Pro, you could like you can fit a few more in there, can't you? Like this is just huge white space between them. But it all gets back to the same root problem, which is trying to figure out which Apple has been trying to do and mostly failing for many many years now how to take this computing device that that apple and i at least think is the future of computing uh, it's obvious as anything else um, but that it has to grow up and it has to start taking on more of the capabilities of desktop computers and it has to do that at the same time as it doesn't take on all of their crap the whole reason we see it as the future of computing and inevitability is that there's some things you won't be able to do on a phone which is we don't have to call inevitable to already here. Boom, done. Right? Some things you can't do on a phone because it's too darn small. And PCs are still too hard to use, including Macs. So here's this thing that's in between. It takes all the good stuff from your phone that everyone knows how to use and is comfortable with, gets rid of all the legacy corrupt, but how can you make it have more capabilities? And designing the home screen with the iPad was one of the first times that I've always faced with that thing. Hmm. All right, what do you see when you turn on the iPad? We have this big screen. Can we do something different? in this realm and that realm is like the place where people go to launch their apps or to rearrange things or whatever um and they punted on it they said well i don't know we didn't really have any good ideas right now so let's just make it a grid of icons and they just continued to kick that down the road all the while knowing that surely there's something more they can do but it's like but you don't want to make it into what are you gonna have the finder on the ipad no no we don't want that crap the whole reason people like the ipad is that it's simple right so it has to be straightforward and like all right yeah we're fine with that but then now now we're getting to the point in the iPad's evolution. It's like, but we have to make it more capable. So bigger. Good. Yes. Thumbs up. I've always been a big front of the iPad Pro. You have to make it bigger because there's more stuff you can do. And then what can we do with that real estate? That That's a harder problem. I've got this extra real estate. Apple's like, well, we could split the screen and make it like a divider that you can kind of like. That's better. Better than nothing. But it still shows that they haven't figured out how to add capability without adding complexity the the beauty of the thing we all know the windows pointer mouse you know wimp interface uh pioneered by the mac or popularized by the mac is that evolved over time with a vocabulary that we're all familiar with like you know it's easy for us to think like oh macs aren't that hard or pcs aren't that hard everyone knows how to use windows and 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 menu bars and like there's a vocabulary for dealing with windows that, that you know that they have widgets on them that you can resize them from various edges you can move them around Um, tabs or another vocabulary that was added and we all understand how tabs work but that's us everyone else this is and same thing with the file system file system and folders and and you know navigating the hierarchy a very simple consistent vocabulary for people who are into computers for everyone else it might as well be you know inscrutable and just like some people just never fully grasp it so that's why we know that like the smartphone and the ipad are inevitably the future because history has shown over you know decades that just people not enough people grok computers the way we grok them this interface is you know it's much better than what came before the command line even a small number of people grok the gui with the mouses and the scroll bars a larger group of people grok but everybody gets the smartphone right and but there are those of us who use computers to do our job so they have to figure out a way to make these things more capable without making them more complicated and that is a really difficult job and that's on apple like individual developers they can make their applications to use the old parlance ipad pro savvy and they need to all do all that stuff or whatever but it's kind of on apple to show how this can really be the future of computing and so far they've been timid about it because it's safe to say we'll just do what we did on the phone and bigger because people already understand it and it works fine but you're not gaining any new capabilities then even though they said well when you rotate mail sideways you get a new sidebar or when you you know like the, or even on the the 6s plus like they did a couple of different layouts and whatever this is so massively huge you can't just say all right well now all our apps will have a little bit different layout because sometimes you don't even have anything to go over there inevitably you have to get to some solution that gives us what we do with windows but in a simpler way and the splitter is their first crack at that and i haven't used it so i don't know how successful it is but boy i just i just feel like they have a long way to go in this area and most of the complaints and uh surrounding software on the ipad pro i don't think it dooms the tablet as a platform it just goes to show that this is a hard problem, and it's easy to take for granted the, the breakthroughs and conventions that came with the Mac and with the original GUI that had so much time to evolve. Remember, we had two arrows on both ends of the scroll bars, and we had proportional scroll thumbs, and then, then we got rid of the scroll bars entirely. And all that. Like <laughs> Even just something as simple as moving windows around and scrolling there's a lot of cracks at that. Like what we have now is not what was first there, and we tried all sorts of different things to try to find something that had, that was better. Proportional scroll thumbs were a pretty big revolution. Uh, Apple didn't invent those, obviously, and they were really late adopting them. Um, but that was a significant enhancement over the original scroll thumb, and the original Mac scroll bars were a significant enhancement over the weird ones on the Xerox systems that you had to like middle click or whatever to scroll. Um, so I don't expect uh, anyone to nail this in the first try, but. The the iteration time has definitely slowed down. I think mostly because the smartphone and its interface became so iconic that Apple's like, well, worst case, it's just it's like a phone but on a bigger screen. Everybody understands that and it'll be fine. But we won't make significant progress towards the future of computing capital F capital C uh, that Tim Cook and I and several other people believe must come someday. Yeah, I don't know. I mean.
2: A lot of these problems, people assume to be problems. Like you know, like my old you know, launch an app without a setting screen design problem, uh, where you know you assume, oh well, computers are too hard to use. So the the way to make them easier to use is to get rid of all these files and windows and everything. Get rid of all these things people are confused about. But if you if you look at it only in that way, that, that's that's kind of a like naive like. 22-year-old smart person way to look at things of like, well, this is all stupid. We'll just get rid of it. you know. And then you do and you realize, oh, now we have a lot of problems to solve. And the solutions that you build up end up being oftentimes more complex or worse or at least no better than what was already there because what was already there was actually there for good reasons. And so a lot of these problems, I think, you know, have to be backtracked in some way. For example, iCloud Drive, perfect example of this, where you have, okay, well, there's no more files. Each app just has its own content in the app. And then, oh, now we have a sync engine, and, well, it'll just sync. There's documents still in the app. And then, oh, it turns out having a folder that just syncs everywhere, like Dropbox, is really useful and makes a lot of things way easier than all these apps having their own little sandbox silos. Uh, and also those little sandbox silos prov- bring lots of other limitations and challenges to the platform. And, oh, by the way, all this contributes very heavily to why a lot of people can't get their work done on iOS.
0: Don't you feel like it's tempting to slide back to the old solutions? Yeah. Like, I, I think that was, you know, Sync, Sync is a great example where it's like the new stuff is supposed to work but doesn't. And Dropbox used the old paradigm plus reliability to say... <laughs> Look, you guys, you, you guys haven't figured it out. I know this is an old paradigm that is confusing, but it's reliable. And at least, at the very least, the people who understand files and folders will understand Dropbox. And the other people, they'll muddle along because we'll be reliable enough. But it, it's so easy to go back to that. Apple doesn't like to do that. That's why the iPad Pro doesn't come with a bunch of windows with widgets that you slide around on the screen, right? They totally could. It could, you know, they could make like a touch, an OS ten designed for touch where all the window widgets are gigantic or whatever, but you have actual windows. Apple doesn't want to do that uh, to its credit to its detriment or demerit or whatever word you want to insert there. They don't seem to have quite an idea what to do going forward. And they've been really cautious about like poking their way towards the edges of like, I mean, uh, Microsoft has been much more daring in thinking the old paradigms are are cruddy. Uh, We want to try something new. And they went hog wild with the whole Metro stuff. I don't think that was successful either but they certainly, you know, came went forward much more boldly than Apple. Apple's just been like, it's just, we'll just use the smartphone stuff. Everyone likes that. Uh, all the compromises we made to a small screen, we will port to the big screen, and don't complain that it can't do anything more than a phone.
2: Yeah, I mean, at this point, I would say the main thing that holds iOS back from more pro adoption is the OS. It's not. It's not that the screens weren't big enough. You know, the, those things help. And, you know, things like the iPad Pro and the pencil and and the, you know, finally like a, a, a decent keyboard, um, those things will all help. And they will all bring in certain portions of, of the workforce and population that, that couldn't have done it before or didn't want to do it before. But fundamentally, the main reason why so many people say, I can't get my work done on an iPad or it would be very clunky for me to get my work done on an iPad. Fundamentally, that comes down to iOS and the structure of iOS, how things like files and documents and sandboxing and apps, how those things all are, and multitasking, like how these all work together, how the things they can do, the things they can't do. That is ultimately what it comes down to for a lot of people. And that is really hard to change meaningfully without, as you said, you know, without just basically making it a Mac, like without redoing all these old complexities you know, now Apple is trying to figure out which of those old complexities were actually not necessary and and which are necessary to have a productive, you know, kind of pro work machine.
0: I don't think any of them are necessary. The question is simply like, because they all they are is a means to an end. The end is I need to have a way to to use multiple to do multiple things at once we call it multiple application but there's no reason that paradigm we need to stick although apple seems married to that you could have gone apple could have gone the open doc route where everything is inverted and the document is king and there's no real applications and anyway they didn't point is they have applications so we're faced basically the high level problem we're faced with is how do i do more than one thing at one time even before these things start sharing with each other just simply how do i go you know to a web browser, to my text editor, to my email, to my photo editor. You know, how do I do more than one? Windows solves that problem, not capital W Windows for Microsoft. But, like, Windows is the solution that people came up with, that there's going to be application content. It's in these little rectangles that we can change the size of. When we change the size too small, scroll bars are there to move around. They have a thing that you can drag them on. They have little buttons that you can close and minimize. and ma- Like, we that's that was the old solution to that. Old solution, if I've seen anybody use computers, I and mean, <laughs> Windows uh, are not something that most people deal with well and it has simply not gotten better you can't blame it all it's because old people didn't grow up with computers there are many many people who grew up with computers who cannot manage windows i as we all know am an expert at managing windows <laughs> Oh my god! because i grew oh. up with it and because i have an aptitude for it but and it makes me keenly aware that pretty much everyone else i see has no idea what to do with windows even even young kids at work like kids just out of college i see how they use computers and they have these massive screens and they have like maybe two windows on them that's why people love tiling window managers and things like windows 10 where you jam the window against the side of the screen it fills the half they managing windows is it's it is not easy to do to have a bunch of windows all shuffling around it's like having 17 papers on your desk all overlapping with each other and trying to manage it right that is it's not like that people are going to get better at that so i'm not saying it's a bankrupt paradigm it's way better than people managing the mental state required to deal with a command line right big advancement over that but You can't go back to it. But we still have the root problem of what if I want to do a bunch of stuff at once? So how do you let me do a bunch of stuff at once without asking me to manage Windows? And so far, we don't have a good answer to that. The the iOS multitasking switcher, splitting the screen, uh, none of those things. Like We recognize all those things are better than nothing, but still not as capable as Windows. Even to people who aren't good at managing Windows and don't like to have a lot of Windows, if you're at all used to Windows, you're like, I wish I could just have Windows on this thing. But then you realize it doesn't work with the finger or whatever. So that's just one root problem. How do I how do I give something that's the equivalent of Windows? Like, I don't want to say it that way, but how do I let people use this computing device to do more than one thing at the same time and, and move between those tasks in a nice way? So set that aside. We don't have a good solution to that. The other one you were talking about, Marco, how do I deal with the data? How do I take some piece of data? How do I synthesize, like pictures from here, text from there, a link from here. How do I move stuff between applications, keep track of where things are, save things, have, have you know, like, and the old solution to that was files and folders in a file system. You had images, you had text documents, you know, and that was the old paradigm, and as we all know, people aren't good at the old paradigm files and folders people make a big giant mess they can't keep track of where they are lots of people can deal with it but lots of people just can't and again we've had computers long enough not to say like oh we just gotta wait for the old people to die young people will know how to deal with files and folders nope we, we ran that experiment human beings are not changing that fast files and folders a lot of people can use it but a lot of people can't it's much easier when there's no saving. You open the notes app, you type a bunch of notes in with your thumbs on your iPhone and you close the notes app. No one, no one is begging for a save button on the notes application. I've said this a million times. Uh, and it's, it's just goes to show that like, those are complexities that we don't need. But when you want to do something that would traditionally be done with files and folders in a file system, what is the solution for that? So Apple should really probably have like teams of 50 really smart people, multiple ones of them working on all of these problems because right now they're either not solving them at all or making the the most timid move in the direction of solving them and then just kind of being like, I don't know, like it's a little bit more complicated than the iPhone, but it's not as good as a Mac. What do you guys think of that? And it's just not the same as the bold vision of the Mac of saying the command line is crap, forget about it. What we're doing has nothing to do with the command line. Here are, you know, we've seen the future and it is GUIs and we're gonna this is the direction we're going to take and it's way better than everything came before it. And so far, we haven't had that moment for the post, uh, you know, the post wimp world.
1: So, two questions for you, John. First of all, on an infinite timescale, would we get good at using Windows?
0: I don't think so, because I don't think there is any. <laughs> uh, I don't think there is any evolutionary pressure. Like there is, there is nothing about being good at Windows that makes your genes more likely to be passed on. So, in, in the absence of that pressure, I don't see how. The genetic makeup of humans would change over any period of time to become better at managing multiple traditional windows. And the second reason, of course, is that uh, we will come up with different interfaces that are better than Windows and simpler and be- better suited to us. So it's not you, there's nothing holding Windows steady. Of saying, I demand that Windows, as they currently exist, stay there for the next uh, you know three billion years to wait and see if human evolution will, will uh, make us better at handling them. You took that
1: question way too seriously, but I gave you the, I gave you the answer. <laughs> but I appreciate it. And we to nothing less. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the other question I had, and and I am being serious now, is oh, y- you seem really disappointed with the multitasking paradigm in iOS. And uh, I, you know, I have this iPad Mini, uh, the first one with the Retina display, and it doesn't support. Um, God, I always get the terminology wrong. So it does do slide over. It doesn't do split view. I'm pretty sure I got that right. That's right. And so I've only had limited experience with the multitasking on, on, on an iPad, but I feel like I really like it. I will say that the multitasking switcher, when you're switching between apps in, in the slide over or what have you, is stupid. Like, I agree with you there. That's dumb. But the general premise behind it, I don't think it's so bad. I'm not saying there couldn't be better, but I mean, I, I think it's a pretty solid first step. Do you not think that?
0: I don't know. Like, uh, we, it's easy to see that it's not as capable as multiple windows, right? Because sure. two, like, that's better than one, but not as good as three. And what if you've got four and so on and so forth, that's 60. It, yeah. It, and it doesn't help you with the – it doesn't help you yet with the, you know, sharing from one thing to the other, dragging and dropping across that line or somehow – because things are visually next to each other all the things same things we do in the desktop like drag and drop is again not saying drag and drop is what they should bring over because it's the old thing that worked but they need something that that fills the same role as drag and drop in that like you know i i have something over here i'm going to drag it over there and i'm going to chuck it into this thing and now this image i dragged out of uh, photos onto the desktop i dragged from the desktop into photos that's not a particular efficient move but it's using a vocabulary that we understand to do that the reason I'm mostly disappointed in it as... And I'm not disappointed, like, it's better than nothing, but it's so clearly still less capable than uh, than a desktop computer, but I feel like almost as hard to explain to people who aren't familiar. Like, I, I just tried to show my daughter today, for she, for whatever reason, she decided to use the, uh, the laptop to write something instead of writing it on a piece of paper. I don't think she writes on her uh, iPod, but anyway, she decided to use the laptop... And she asked me how to make the window cover the whole screen because that's just she used to. She's grown up on iOS. So I showed her the full screen thing. She's in full screen mode. And then she wanted to look something up in Safari. And I wanted to show her, you can actually see the text editor in Safari at the same time. But then I realized to show her that I have to show all you have to do again. All you have to do is <laughs> arrange the windows, arrange the windows She doesn't know how windows move. She doesn't know windows can be resized. I resized a window and she asked me how I did it. How did you change the size of the window? Like, it's something, you know, like, so trying to show someone how to use windows, obviously very complicated. Trying to show her how to use split view on the iPad would, it results in almost the same conversations. Like it's already, already too complicated. I feel like that people aren't going to figure it out on their own. And I think it suffers in comparison to windows and that it doesn't really give you a, a sort of functional vocabulary that you can apply repeatedly because once you figure out how a window works you still may not be good at arranging windows because just knowing how to a window works is like i know how to form all the letters it's not the same as knowing how to write you know what i mean or knowing how to hit one piano key is not the same as knowing how to play a piano but you know that any key on the keyboard if you hit it with your finger it will make a noise you figured out the vocab the functional vocabulary the basic functional vocabulary of a piano once you figure out how Windows work, you can drag them by the title bar, you can resize them, you can close them, you can move them around, you learn the parameters. Can I move it all the way off the screen? No, no, I can't. Can I get the title bar up underneath, underneath the menu bar? Not unless there's like a, a bug in the OS, which happens sometimes. Um, is, is it really that much easier? Now, don't think about the split view as like, oh, it's pretty cool. I kind of like it because you know how to use desktop computers. Think about it as if you had to show somebody who had only ever used a smartphone how do you split view with their eyes glaze over and they would be like, I don't get it. And then secondarily, could they transfer those skills? Like if you say you show them how to use split view and they figure it out, could they, are those skills useful for anything else? So they going to say, now I can split view any two applications or would you have to show them again? Okay, well this is how you do a split view, but what if you want to, like when you come back to it, will the same two things be in the split view? Or what if you want to put something different in the split view? What if you want to have multiple, like, I think it's already too complicated. And still less capable now i'm not entirely sure about that but i'm that that's my sense of it so far is that it's not like it's on its way to being as good as the mac i think it's it's not not as capable as the mac and not really easier to explain than windows so i feel like it's a bad solution at this point you know i've been talking before like there there
2: seems to be a certain baseline level of required complexity and that's not to say that for things like multitasking that we have windows or slide over or everything's full screen like that's not to say that that these things cannot be improved upon but i do think there is a certain like ceiling uh, that we cannot surpass of like how simple can we make this because the the fundamental fact is these are advanced concepts. They're going to have some inherent level of minimum complexity. Oh, oh, we're going to have multiple things that are separate, that are running on this screen at once. And there's going to be some way to divide the screen space between them. And there's you're going to have to be able to pick out which ones to open somehow figure out if you want to open them one at a time, or if you want to add multiple ones to the screen in some way, then figure out how to switch between them, how to close certain ones or all of them. Like There's going to be some baseline level of complexity to this, no matter how it's designed, no matter what system it is. There's going to, therefore, be some kind of basic learning curve, no matter how easy you would make it. So again, this, is, this isn't to say that we can't improve the systems we have now, but I think people are assuming that there is some end game here that we sh- that we that we should be going for where anybody can just pick it up and all of a sudden it's perfect and that's that's never we're never going to reach that
0: I think you're mistaking intuitiveness in the old parlance for just a better UI because you could say all the same things back before the GUI existed. Like there's some inheriting complexity in a a time-sharing system where multiple programs are running on the computer at the same time. And we're never going to make that easier because this, you know, like, and then the GUI came along and it's like, oh, well, I guess if you totally rethink things, then I guess you can make it massively easier for a huge number of people. Still too complicated for all people, but so much better you know like you really there is no i don't think there's any limitation um and you know the end game obviously would be like you know some crazy neural interface where you just think stuff and it magically happens or 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 the end game is all the extinction of human life and the computers take over anyway um there's definitely an end game you may not like it um but but for for things like interfaces like i think they're absolutely like definitely i think that kind of thinking that that, that is just like there's it, there's a certain amount of complexity and there's no way we're going to make it simple is just absolutely the wrong way to look at this because having lived through the gui revolution and having seen how that's why that's why the the original gui in the mac was so brilliant that it did find a way lots of people tried to find ways to do it and, and then the mac finally did find a way through the use of Metaphor and through what, what I maintain is one of the best interfaces ever, the uh, the spatial finder, giving people an interface that played to the strengths of their of th- of the knowledge that they have from living in the actual world and let them use those skills to manage this this the virtual world of the computer in a way that, that wasn't possible before, and it made them much more capable. It didn't just make the capabilities easier it made them it, it added new capabilities and what we need is the next one of those revolutions arguably the smartphone was the next one of those revolutions It just happened to be in a constrained environment where the thing has to fit in your hand and, and you carry it around with you which let us avoid a lot of the more difficult problems it was a very difficult problem in itself like that was the second revolution the smartphone right making computing making people be able to do stuff with computers uh, people who couldn't even use computers or making you not even think of it as a computer but in the larger realm we still have these other computers which that have changed into this incredibly capable general purpose thing we have that we still think is too complicated so that is the next frontier um so i I don't i'm not as fatalistic as you are about like yeah there is some inherent complexity uh and people aren't going to change but i really truly believe there absolutely is a way to leverage what humans are good at to let them do all the things they do with desktop computers in an easier way
1: to go back a step it is absolutely insane to me john that you would take Windows as the introduction to multiple things happening at the same time. To me, the iPad multitasking interface is so much easier to understand and makes so much more sense. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit weirder in that there's not a lot of visual cues as to what to do. But in every other measurable, measurable way, I feel like it is so much easier. And, and for your daughter to, to be confused by Windows, that's not terribly surprising to me. But I think if you had done the reverse and started her on the iPad and then said to her, all right, well, this is kind of like the iPad, but you can have more than just two. And, you know, you don't have to do some weird gesture to, to slide them around. You just have to grab it and move it. I, I feel like that would have made a lot more sense to her. To me, I, I think you're looking at the iPad interface as a dumbing down of windowing. Whereas I see, even though this obviously is chronologically the reverse, I feel like windowing is an extension of the the more simple iPad interface. and. It's a much easier paradigm to understand, and yes, it's not discoverable. But once you've discovered it, it is so simple to use, and it seems like it would be a, a lot of the problems that that people have with windowing systems. I, I don't think they would have them with the iPad. I mean, I, this is all guessing. I have no evidence. I've never asked. You know, my parents. Hey, how do you have two, two uh, apps open at the same time on the iPad? Uh, this is all supposition, but it just seems so much more logical to me than than the far more inscrutable task of managing windows
0: i think you're getting hung up again on the learnability and intuitiveness it doesn't really matter how confused they are at first what matters is after you've shown them how to do it does this translate into sort of a new paradigm does it give them skills and vocabulary that they can then use to manage complexity in their life like not the computer complexity but the complexity of whatever whatever thing it is that they're using the computer to do you want to you know there's always going to be some you know, again, that's the the saying from the old GUI days. The only thing that's actually intuitive is the nipple. Everything else is learned. And so intuitiveness is, is, is totally a red herring, right? All you want is something that most people can learn in a reasonable amount of time. And that after they learn it, it gives them a tool set because it defines a sort of understandable world that lets them use those skills to solve problems. So you can totally see how the GUI, the Mac GUI in, in particular gave people that vocabulary all applications work the same the menu bar is always at the top all the windows work the same scroll bars work the same the mouse works the same there's a simple vocabulary for single click double click, and then you know, adding the right click and everything like that that was a tool set i don't think the split view thing it's a vocabulary that works in that way because it doesn't create it, i don't think there is an easily sort of there's no there's no user model there's no mental model that people can latch onto for that Mostly because it's kind of not really an analog in the physical world, but because they're like, well, what? Because the paradigm for iOS thus far has been the thing is the app. The app is the thing. And that is totally a thing, that, uh, a, a paradigm that people can hang on to. You want to go back to the place where all the other things are. You hit the home button. And then when the thing goes, it is the device. That's a simple one, but that is a very solid paradigm. That is what has powered the, the smartphone revolution. You know, the, this this incredibly good iPhone user interface paradigm. Split view I think does not fit with the old paradigm and doesn't give the user a vocabulary or a mental model that they can, they can then parlay into now I can, I can solve any problem because I know how split views work. They're just more like a weird feature that has been added on top of the old system. Like it's, again, it doesn't have to do with learnability or having to explain it. It's just that it, it just seems like it is not of a piece with the rest of the interface. It is a tacked on kind of thing that I don't think represents a new interface paradigm, and therefore they haven't actually solved the problem.
1: See, and I think that where we fundamentally disagree is, to me, the only thing that you should be able to accomplish by understanding and grokking split view on the iPad is being able to put, Two arbitrary apps next to each other. That is it. I, I don't care if that lets you leap into new worlds and go out into the great unknown and apply this knowledge. All I care about is can can your daughter have Safari and Notes next to each other, and then later on, can she have YouTube and and uh, Tweetbot next to each other? Well, but
0: she has to understand why they're no longer next to each other, or why something else is next to something else, or how long they're expected to be next to each other. Like, you know what I mean? There's there's so many questions surrounding that in terms of like what what is the paradigm, what is the user model. What What is the mental model? How does this work? Just because you can, I know how, if I'm using this application, I can make another appear. If there's no actual understanding or there really is no solid paradigm underneath it, then every time you use some other application, you're faced with why is the thing not next to it now well i'll just go through that same motion i knew before to put the thing next to it why is this next to that now well i know how to get rid of the thing next to it and it. And it becomes it's like you're fighting with the computer instead of it helping you you're not using it as a tool to help you solve a problem it's just like every time you know this is capability but when it doesn't work the way you expect it to work because you have a different model of like the persistence or the or how the interaction between the different applications is when they're not that way, you, you can stab at the screen a few times to make it be that way. But it's not, it's not as like, it's not as straightforward as the, the windows model, which again, people aren't good at, but at least it's an understandable model. You make the windows the sizes you want You put them the way you want on, on at face value. Like that's, you know, it's enough rope to hang yourself because if you don't know what size they should be or where you should put them you know, an old Steve jobs thing. You have to be the janitor. You have to put things where you want them. I, we don't want you to have to be the janitor. well, whether you're the janitor or not everyone can understand the model of windows it's just that the model doesn't help them manage their complexity if they're not good at managing windows which is why windows are generally a failure but i just don't feel like the split view gives any kind of understandable model it gives a little bit more capability not as much as multiple windows but does not give you a new model for managing complexity going
1: forward yeah i don't know i i still disagree with you but um, I, I I don't know. Either of us could be right on this. And- well,
0: you can find the way we'll find out is as you see people using iPads that that are increasingly capable of split view. See how many people you see using split view or using it confidently.
1: Well, see, I think that's two very different discussions, right? Using split view, as I said, it's not terribly discoverable, so that's one thing. Now, using it confidently, that's where I think that's that is what will differentiate which one of us is right. Because if somebody stumbles upon it and is like, "Oh God, what has happened?" and then is trying, is obviously trying to switch what app is there, what have you, and it's not working. Okay, then you're absolutely right; it's it's completely inscrutable. But if someone has discovered split view and d- without too much effort is now using it confidently then i think then that indicates that i'm right and that it really is useful and it really is a paradigm that they've learned to help them get work done
0: it may still be useful but like we, we all agree that it is less capable than multiple windows if only because it's only two things right so yeah like the, the, the confidence i'm saying is like if you see someone using it you see someone doing their work in a cafe or in the same way you'd see them using a mac now even, whether they're using full screen and they're swiping between which by the way i've seen a lot of the younger people who i work with they're very confident in that because they're the smartphone generation i guess like they do full screen everything on their mac laptops they do do the multi-finger swipe between the applications which i see is incredibly inefficient but what they're basically doing is turning the mac into a paradigm that they understand because windows are too difficult to to manage but for split view you'd want to see somebody like doing uh like doing their task using split views to help make their task more efficient not just one split view that they keep permanently and their whole thing is like i need to have slack and twitter next to each other forever and ever and ever and amen i wish i could tell the os to never launch them separately (laughs) and to launch them as a single application that i would say is a super degenerate case of using split view but just to say that they're they're arbitrarily putting applications next to each other as is appropriate for the task they're doing if it's too difficult to rearrange to put this thing next to that thing and that's next to this thing then people won't do it and they'll be like well it's too it's too onerous to constantly, in the same way that people find it too onerous to constantly rearrange Windows, it's too onerous to constantly rearrange split views for whatever reason. So therefore, I'm just going to have one split view and everything else is non-split view. And I would say that's not a confident use of things. And anyway, even if they're using split views like that, even if they're using them to always put the two most convenient applications next to each other they need at any moment in time, and they have no problem doing it, and it's second nature, and they don't have to think about it, and it's very intuitive, that's still only two things at once. And so it's still worse than Windows.
1: Yeah, but... It's worse by your metric of how many thousands of things can I get distracted by at once.
0: No, no, it's worse because we know people need to do more than one thing at once. Windows are a failure because people can't use them to do more than some people can't use them. I keep saying people. Uh, you know, We're trying to talk in, in aggregates here. Obviously. obviously, all of us can use Windows to do more than two things at once. We do it all the time. But most people, when they deal with computers are not successful with that which means windows is successful for the people who are good at using computers in the old way of like he knows computers but worse for everybody else smartphones i would say pretty much 100 percent of the population is successful at both using and, and installing applications i pretty much think we've solved that there not that it can't continue to improve but we've hit the the mainstream in that oh you are you good at using smartphones do you know smartphones very few people say that unless they mean, like, developing for it or hacking them or something like that. Everybody knows how to launch the Facebook app. Everyone knows how to send text messages. Like, we have crossed the the effectively 100% barrier there. We have not even come close to crossing that at the, can I use a general purpose computing device to do arbitrary things? And so we're still struggling to get larger adoption than we have uh, with the the world of PCs and Macs. I think I agree with you that, this, that the smartphone, full screen, everything model
2: is pretty, pretty close to ideally usable for a lot of people. But uh, I think the windowing model is doing a lot better in practice than you're giving it credit for. I, th- I think a lot more people than, than you seem to be suggesting have figured it out well enough to get stuff done. And maybe not ideally, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure you look at everyone's window setups and, and it makes you cringe <laughs> because of, but you would, you would look at my setup and it would make you cringe, you know, but, but I, I think, People, people figure it out. They've, they've been figuring it out for decades. Most people who, who use a computer on a regular basis are able to figure out windowing enough to do their to do what they have to what they want to do
0: well uh, you can get by with anything i mean you can figure out like the, the upsides is that if you you, you muddle through right but uh, what we see that the we all know the uh, the things that are bad about windows like it's the reason people use the desktop so much and their the desktop is filled with icons and that they feel non-confident in navigating the file system like it, 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 my desktop is filled with icons yeah i know uh, it's it's it's, a, it's basically it's the reason everybody found smartphones to be such a breath of fresh air. It's because all of that crap that they have been sort of muddling through on their PCs at work or whatever is not there on on the smartphone. There there are no files and folders. There's no save button. There's no desktop. There's, it was just it got rid of all that stuff. And so even though they could you know manage with pcs that's why i'm calling the pc interface not like a failure in the sense of like it was terrible and nobody could use it but like to to understand how much better it is compare it to people's reactions to smartphones like smartphones aren't even considered computers like it is is it is a discontinuity they have transcended the idea of a general purpose computer so you're right that people do get by zooming all their windows to full screen and playing minesweeper and clicking around in their web browser and the web was another paradigm like a little miniature paradigm of like clicking on underline words and stuff that was another simple enough one that i think was more successful um but like it's it's not like the pc or mac is a dead end but we've clearly pushed the limit of how many people are going to feel comfortable using that interface, not to its fullest, but just even in a merely competent way. Like, I think there are people who use, uh, like, a computer every day for multiple decades who still have no idea where the hell anything is in their disk and can't navigate the file system and are terrified by an open save dialog box and just desperately want everything to be either in that one place they know how to get to or on the desktop or something. And that shows that interface is not succeeding because that's not the way it's supposed to work. Whereas people are using smartphones essentially the way they're supposed to work under the sort of very simplified ios paradigm of a big grid of icons that you swipe between and you launch and they fill the screen like they're not using the the phones in the degenerate case they're using the phones the way they were designed whereas the the macs and windows i think people are muddling through not everybody not the people that we know um but like the the entire mass of humanity like taking everybody as a whole yeah i I could see that
2: I, i think i'm mostly with you on that All right. Our final sponsor this week is MailRoute. Go to mailroute.net slash ATP to get the best spam and virus filtering I've ever, ever seen. Now, if you can imagine a world without spam, that is the world that MailRoute delivers to you. And it is real. I use it myself. I've used it now for, I don't know, almost a year, I think. Uh, It's really great. I have never seen Better spam filtering than what MailRoute delivers. Uh, so here's here's how this works. MailRoute is a service that sits between the internet and you uh, as your email host or the servers you run, uh, anything like that. So for like for for instance, I use FastMail. It's an IMAP host, um, and you know a lot of people do this in front of their own servers. If they run servers for their business, or if you're enough of a geek to even run your own mail server, so you put MailRoute in front of your mail server or service, and they filter out all the spam. And then they deliver to your service clean email. As I've been using Fastmail for a while, I've tried spam filtering through their settings. I've seen other people doing it with Gmail. I've tried. I've. i once in a, once a long time ago, I did run my own mail server and tried doing spam assassin and stuff like that. Um, I tried doing the junk mail filtering in Apple Mail. None of these things have been nearly as effective as MailRoute for me. I, I'm saying this honestly. This is my direct experience with this. Mail route has kicked their butts in in every possible way. It filters out way more spam, almost all of it. It is very rare that I get a spam message anymore. Most days I get zero, not like one, not five, zero. And it is extremely rare for legitimate messages to get caught in their filters as spam. So I just I can't tell you enough. They sponsor us a lot, and I try to drill this into everyone's heads every time because it is so good. And I can't overstate how good MailRat spam filtering is it makes email usable again. I mean, as, as much as email can be usable. <laughs> it makes it gives you the best chance of email being usable for you uh, by taking out all the spam and delivering only people's annoying requests for you to do things. Uh, so really, I can't say enough good things about MailRoute. They support everything you want them to support. You, know, you point your MX record at them, they deliver mail to you, and they support things like LDAP, Active Directory, TLS, Mailbagging, Outbound Relay, and all sorts of crazy stuff that I don't understand. So go to mailroute.net slash ATP you will get a free trial and if you use that link you'll get 10% off for the lifetime of your account. Thanks a lot to MailRoute for sponsoring our show once again.
1: So any other thoughts about this new iPad Pro? We're going to talk
0: about hardware but I think we should save it for next week because I think there's a lot to talk about on the iPad Pro hardware, but that'll keep.
2: Yeah, I mean I I think it's worth, you know, giving us more time to use it first. I would say, you know, my my very very early impression as like an overview of it is you know, like whether whether you should buy one, whether I want one. For me, the question is no. Uh, for Tiff, I think will probably keep this. Although even she's a little bit unsure right now because it is so big and the software is so not taking advantage of it yet. Uh, these things will change over time. You know, the, the, I mean, the bigness won't, but you know, over time, software will take more advantage of it. I would say if you're not in a huge hurry, getting next year's is probably going to be a bigger improvement than most single-year improvements would be for these things, simply because not only will the hardware probably be a little bit better, maybe it'll add some cool stuff like force touch and better touch ID, uh, but the bigger thing is I think we need a year for both Apple and third-party developers to write good software for this thing because it isn't there yet. And there's some right now, but it's it's going to be a while, and it's gonna, it's going to be a while before everybody can actually afford to take advantage of it. Um, So, uh, the the only exception I would make to that would be, if you are already a heavy iPad user, somebody like Federico Faticci, if you already are able to do a ton of your work or all of your work on an iPad, and you already are are doing things like using third party keyboards with it and doing multitasking and you know you need more screen space if you if you already are using styluses to do artistic work or note taking or annotations. So if you if you are already an iPad power user, then by all means consider this now. But if if the if things about the iPad have prevented you from getting into it as a serious productivity device for your work. I don't think this will change that, at least not yet. And maybe down the road it will once the software gets there, but I don't think it's going to be there for a, for a little while.
0: And hopefully by next year, they'll have the uh, the iPad air size device with a pen. That would be something.
2: Yeah, yeah and that, uh, that could change everything. I mean, right now, if you want this awesome pencil input, you have to get the giant iPad. And so like for me, if I were to ever get into pencil stuff, I would much rather have the iPad Air-sized one. You
0: start doing art snacks with TIFF. But you don't need an iPad. They send you actual, like, paintbrushes and stuff. I know, but the equivalent of, like, just having a small task that someone else sends you to do to draw something for the day, you know? I'd rather just play Pictionary. Yeah. (laughs) No, actually, actually, I have kind of a
2: fun idea for a game that I might want to do, but it would require the pencil, and it would also require me to develop a game so I think this is unlikely. <laughs> but that's that's the only thing I could really see doing on it, and that's probably not going to happen. Combination of flight control and worms. Go. <laughs> Sounds kind of fun, actually. No, but <laughs> uh, you, you, you actually found two games that I've played to uh, name. I was like, you would
0: draw the paths that the, the projectiles take, and the other person can set up barriers, and you'd have to quickly draw between them. It, it, the game writes itself. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Thanks a lot to our three sponsors this
2: week casper lynda.com and mail route and we will see you next week The game probably
0: already exists too
2: oh i'm sure there's like 10 of them <laughs> at least now the show is over they didn't even mean to begin because it was accidental. accidental
0: oh it was accidental. accidental john didn't do any research marco and casey wouldn't let him because it was accidental, accidental. It was accidental. accidental. And you can find the show notes at ATP.FM. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C A S
2: E Y L I S S. So that's Casey Liss, anti Marco Armen, S I R.
1: So, So, in other news, I got my car back a couple hours ago. Is it still white? It's still white. The fender is repaired. All is right in the world once again.
0: I saw that picture of your car thing, and I really, I and people were were tweeting like, "Oh, if that happened to John's car, he would have burned to the ground." People don't understand how much damage to my car I am both willing to tolerate and I'm forced to tolerate. I have so many things <laughs> on my car that are worse than that thing that you just spent a thousand dollars to get repaired, and the reason I don't get them to repaired is because I know it will cost an unseemly amount of money, and I say, "You know what? I'm just going to live with." that giant white paint streak that was added to my car by someone who parked next to me the second week I got it. <laughs> oh. I'm just going to live with the huge gouge in my bumper from the person who re-entered me because my deductible won't cover it. It's just like, just... That's why I ever think about getting a nice car... I, I would just never be able to drive it. Like, just the world... The world that I drive around in is just filled with too many hazards. I mean, hell, my, my brand new car, I dented the rim of my fancy alloy wheels like in the first month that I got it from hitting a pothole. I had to get a new wheel for 650 bucks. So... I couldn't believe that you. This is the thing that only people in the South or people who live in the desert do. Is like, oh, I have a tiny ding <laughs> to my car, my perfect car that is preserved, as if it's as if it's in a museum, because we have no weather to speak of and no humidity. Or oh, you have God, the humidity. God, again. And it just I don't know how can you be spending a thousand dollars to repair a quarter-sized nick to your fender.
1: Because it it was down to the metal, and for me it was a hundred bucks. Who
0: cares? It was the size of a quarter.
1: No, it it was really obvious if you had seen it. Like oh, I know that picture <laughs> was not that impressive, but I assure you it was obvious. A
0: thousand dollars.
1: It's 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 nine hundred dollars of Allstate's money and a hundred dollars of my money. Who cares? Uh, your
0: deductible is only a hundred dollars. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's a fancy insurance. Yeah, I would I would have done it for that. <laughs>
1: I'm sure I probably am paying too much for said insurance, but nevertheless, um, no. the problem that you have, John, is that you drive in an area that doesn't believe in roads that make sense, roads that function, or drivers that know how to drive. They're not called manholes because they're good at driving.
0: I agree. The roads are my enemy. Other cars are my enemy. And and I swear, more damage has been done to my car while parked than anything else. Because the parking garage at work has the spots, you know, when they paint the lines on the spots, they look like they're made for, like, motorcycles, because they can fit more (laughs) spots in the parking garage that way. And and the court is not a big car. It's a full-size car, but it's not humongous. And I swear, every time I park, I am making decisions about how many inches on either side I have that you have to judge because you want like you have to think most people are driving are single drivers so they're not going to open their passenger door so I want to get closer but what if the guy backs in then I got to figure out if he's a backing (laughs) if it's it's a Casey person then his driver's (laughs) side is on my side so I have to like figure out where in in between the lines I want to be just perfectly and then looking at the type of car if I'm parking between two cars how likely is this person to be one of those people who doesn't even look and just swings their car door open and jams it into mine anyway Everyone has their things they want to be perfect, and I, I, I admit I kind of did it with my mirror. That was my fault, where I clipped the mirror coming out of my garage, which is also sized for a motorcycle or a horse carriage or something. <laughs> I got that repaired, but that wasn't $1,000, and that damage was way more noticeable than your little nick. But all yeah, this is yeah. to say that you are obviously uh, care very deeply about the particulars of how your car looks. And I would like I to care very deeply about how my car looks, but I just cannot... Bear the amount of money it would take to do that and time frankly to, to keep bringing the car in to get fixed and everything
1: yeah well th- one of them was the mechanical issue which was a week and then this was three days for the body issue however i'm not the only one who is uh ogling white cars today am i marco
2: i drove a white car i wouldn't say i was ogling is it ogling ogling but however you pronounce that i wouldn't say i was doing that to it it just so happened that the the test drivable model was white just like all of your cars just happen to be white when they fall into your lap and you buy them.
1: Right. That's, uh, yeah, I agree. I totally understand what you're going with here. I really do. <laughs> anyway, so you, so the whole family went for this test drive, though. Is that correct?
2: Anyway, yeah. So uh, I ever since I test drove the uh, P85D last February, I think it was, um, I was very impressed by it. Uh, but I also, at the time, I, I said that the P85D is so fast, I actually found it unpleasant I'm like, like I was like, I would probably never do this from a stop, like, I, like flooring it like that, like it, it like hits you in the face so hard with with inertia that I I just I didn't really want to do that, um, and I am throughout throughout since then I've been thinking more about it, doing more research, I am almost certainly going to get a Tesla next. I mean, I'm, I'm basically ready to place the order uh, because my, my lease is up in late March and, and uh, there's like a two month lead time on them. So I have to decide pretty soon what I'm doing. Today, I, I went up to test drive to, to first of all, see a bunch of like colors and stuff in person and also to test drive the non P version. This was a 90D So it's just like the eighty-five, but with a little bit more, a little bit more battery. So slightly heavier, probably. Um, But you know, no speed difference really. Uh, So overall, I think I'm going to get that one. I think I'm going to get the you know the really yeah you know in Tesla's line, it's not the slow one. It's like the middle one, and none of them are really slow. I mean, the slowest one I think is roughly the speed of your car, Casey. Right?
1: I think that's right. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe you're right. Yeah.
2: So none of them would be called slow by anybody, really. But you know, it's all relative. So uh, the middle one, I would say in general, the ninety D is not as fast as the M5 at the M5's peak power. So the M5, when when you get that massive kick in the butt of turbocharged torque, it is stronger feeling and faster feeling than the 90D. But the 90D, it comes, it, it's available right from zero. And the M5, if you floor the M5 from a stop, you'll just spin the wheels. It doesn't have any traction, and it's only rear-wheel drive. The uh, 90D is all-wheel drive with a really, really good all-wheel drive system. And you have all that power right from the start, and it actually can put it down. It actually can use it. Overall, I would say it didn't feel like I was really missing anything in, this, in, in the middle version other than that extra big kick from from like really flooring it. Does that uglier wheels? No, all the wheel options are all the same. Hmm. Now, I am torn on which wheels to get. Uh, and I'm sure you have opinions. Uh, I don't think they have any great wheel options. Yeah,
0: I agree. I think all the wheels are middle of the road, too ugly.
2: Yeah, um, I, I would I would agree with that. the um, The base ones that that Johnson in this picture they they kind of look like the M5s winter wheels. Like they, it's a very similar design. It in person, it just it kind of looks cheap. Like they don't they don't look like premium quality wheels. Uh, none of them do really, but I think the I think the base model looks the least good of all of them. Uh the the 19-inch silver cyclone is kind of the halfway point between everything. Now the bigger ones do look substantially larger and more aggressive in person. And so the question is like, you know, how aggressive and sporty do you want your car to look? Also, I'm not quite sure I can pull off thin 21-inch wheels on New York roads, which are only
0: marginally better than John's roads. Yeah, you're going to dent you're going to dent the rims. You should test drive the 21s because, like, a lot of car makers are doing this now, like, offering you obscenely large wheels because they look cool and everything. But, like, they just they turn the, the, the wheels into rubber bands, and you can't drive on real roads with that. Yeah, exactly. So I think I'm probably going to go with the 19
2: Silver Cyclone. So, uh, yeah, that's probably what I'm going to do. The red looks really awesome in person. The black doesn't look as bad as I thought, so I'm kind of torn between those two, I leaning towards red. Otherwise, I'm pretty much sold. I, I think I'm, I'm almost certainly going to do it.
0: What does Tiff say about the color? We never hear what her color choices are.
2: If if she were buying a car for herself, um, it's teal. I know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The blue. The blue is a very nice blue. Uh, I just don't care for blue cars for myself. Tiff Tiff's really is is being very supportive of
0: me getting the red um, because of all, of all your midlife crises. A red car is like <laughs> good. This is a good. Go with that one.
2: Yeah, exactly. You know, like like the the black is fine. Um, if I if I want to be subtle, to be mostly subtle, or, or t- to maximize the subtlety of, of this car, uh, the black would be the right approach uh, to that. But I've been getting black cars for so long, I think I'm ready for something for something different,
0: unlike Casey, who always, always gets white. Mm. So should we start reading the manual for you now? Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Casey will just download PDF. Yep. Uh, I'll send it to you as soon as I find it.